Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome, insurgents. This is another edition of the Insurgents podcast. I'm here with Timbo. We are in Orlando, Florida, and we are continuing our exposition disquisition, application, adaptation of every reference of the kingdom of God in the Gospels. And we're still in Matthew, sneaking up to the passages we will look at in Luke and then in John, and then we're going to go into the epistles all the way through to the book of Revelation. And when we're finished, we will have covered every single reference to the kingdom in the New Testament. And today we're going to look at Matthew 21 verses 33 to 45. This is the second parable where Jesus Christ unloads both canons against the religious leaders. We looked at the first parable where he did that in the last episode. And this is the second one. It's called the parable of the tenants or the parable of the wicked tenants. Tim, why don't you read it for us? All right. This is from the English Standard Version. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. Mm. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Mm. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Hmm. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. (laughs) Yeah. And he was. (laughs) Yep. An accurate perception. An accurate perception. Now, I don't think that this parable makes it onto anybody's list of favorite parables. Mm. 
it's a tough one. It's, uh, it's brutal, really. I mean, it is a brutal story. And even the response of the, of the leaders to the story when Jesus, I guess, I guess at first they didn't perceive that he was talking about them mm. because when Jesus tells the story and, and talks of how the servants were, were beaten and stoned and then the son was killed and he asked the, and he asked the leaders, well, what's the, what's the owner going to do when he, when he shows up? And it's, and it's not just he'll take, the, he'll take the vineyard away. It's not even he'll kill those wicked tenants. It's he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Mm. I mean, this is, it's mm-hmm. almost excessive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they, they seem to recognize the gravity mm. of what happened. It's almost like they have a sense of, of, what's, of what Jesus' point is, that there is, there is a rejection here of God's revelation. Yeah. There's a rejection of God's invitation in a profound and violent way. And of course it foreshadows what happens to Jesus, right? It's, it's foreshadowing that. Mm. But even that recognition of, of how disastrous that rejection is, because in a way, it's not just the rejection of information, right? It's, just not, it's not just the rejection of some kind of doctrine or insight about God. It is the rejection of the inbreaking of God's presence. Mm. And that is really the rejection of life. Mm. Yeah, we have uh, we've got the parable in two other places in the Gospels, the parallel passages in Mark 12 and in Luke 20. Uh, but we won't look at them. Um, interestingly enough, in those two uh, other Gospels where Jesus says that, Last of all, he sent his son to them, verse 37. In both Luke and Mark, he says he sent his beloved son. Mm. Jesus is talking about himself. Mm. He's saying that God, the father, the king will send his son and look what they do to him. This parable, as I said before, it's called the wicked tenant. It's also known as the parable of the vineyard, the parable of the landowner, the parable of the husbandman. The focus here is not on Jew versus Gentile, by the way. It's on the unbelieving, repentant Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders, the very people he's speaking to. And earlier in this whole passage, if you go back to chapter 21, He's speaking to the chief priests and the elders. Here, he's talking to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And in our last episode, we broke that down. We talked about who the elders and the Pharisees and the chief priests were. The focus is on unbelieving, unrepentant Jewish leaders. And the people he's talking about in a good light are those who will produce fruit for the kingdom. And that includes both Jews and Gentiles, Mm -hmm. right? Most of the Christians in the very beginning, the followers of Jesus, starting with the 12, were Jewish. He is calling into question the Pharisees and the chief priests' so-called authority. And 
from the very beginning of his ministry, he made the people question their authority. You remember the scripture says that they were astonished at his teaching because he taught as having authority, not as the scribes. These Pharisees and these chief priests and these elders were willfully blind. They saw John's ministry. They saw the prostitutes and tax collectors pressing into the kingdom. They were turning to the way of righteousness. They saw that very clearly. Yet they looked into the face of Jesus, God incarnate, and denied knowing or admitting that John was sent by God. Israel was destined to inherit the kingdom, but here Jesus says the kingdom will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. And I think it's clear when you look at all of the scripture together, Tim, He's talking about the new nation. Verse 43, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, unrepentant, unbelieving, rebellious, religious leaders, and given to a people or a nation, as it says in the King James. A people or a nation who will produce its fruit. That nation, that new nation, is clearly the ecclesia that God has had in his heart from the beginning. And the idea of fruit results from repentance. This is a statement that comes right out of John the Baptist, who was one of the servants who was sent. (laughs) And they Mm -hmm. killed him. Mm -hmm. John the baptizer says in John 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Earlier this year, I wrote an article on my blog called What is Fruit Bearing? And... In it, I argued that fruit is the result or the outcome or the product of a life or an activity. In the New Testament, it seems to me that fruit refers to two things. One, the character or conduct of Christ, and two, reproducing or propagating his character in others. So I think that what Jesus is doing, he is indicting the religious leaders saying they are the wicked tenants. They seized and their predecessors seized and beat and killed the prophets whom God sent. And then they did the same to John the Baptist. And then they did the same to God's very own son. Mm. I mean, what an indictment. Incredible. His beloved son. It makes me wonder if the if the chief priests and the Pharisees, I mean, these are people who were who were learned in the scriptures. Yes, right? they knew the scriptures inside out. Yes, they, they knew. had them memorized, and and yet they miss they miss it when the Son of God shows up right in their midst. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it is. These are, you know, these in, these indictment parables are so powerful and so troubling mm-hmm. because these are the, you know, these are the people who were entrusted with with the message of God, right? That mm-hmm. in a sense, the implication here is if it, the implication when Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, mm. well, the implication is is well, well, the kingdom was given to them, right? Absolutely. The, the kingdom was given to them. They had, they had it in their midst. Given the Jewish nation inherited it, 
it was for them, but they rejected it as a whole. Yeah. Especially these leaders. Yeah, especially the leaders. And so then the kingdom is given to a new people who, who will bear fruit. But I think the 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 thing that that I get thinking about is so what happens when we don't bear fruit? What happens when the people, mm. the new people, the new ethne, right? Mm. The new group, the, the mm. ecclesia, what happens when when we don't bear fruit? Can we fall into that same trap mm. that I don't think it's 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 a it's a frightening place to be because we think we know we think we know well we know who Jesus is mm. right we know we know what the scriptures say we know all, all these you know all these things we have it down we have it covered mm. but that was the same attitude yes, that that the that the chief priests and the and the mm. Pharisees had and it's being open. I think one of the things here is to be open to what Jesus is continuing to do in the world because the kingdom continues to break in. It's not that mm-hmm. it happened in the past and yes. is done and we have it all figured mm-hmm. out and we know it and we could keep it in a box and mm-hmm. control it, but that Christ continues to to transform, right? Con- mm-hmm. Continues to move us into new ways of life and service and generosity but we have to be open to that if we stay with that line of thinking you know the pharisees the chief priests the elders were part of a religious establishment Mm. jesus was not part of that establishment he was outside of it and when the apostles came on the scene and began to boldly declare jesus after he had died and risen again from the dead. These same religious leaders were questioning their own authority, the apostles, and were taken by their boldness because they were unlettered men. They were unlearned. They didn't matriculate from (laughs) the establishment or the schools of the establishment. They were outsiders too. And I think this is telling because, you know, John 15, in that passage, Jesus does address this issue of fruit bearing uh, among those who claim to believe. And I think it's a pattern of history that those who are part of an establishment are trained and conditioned to kind of demean and belittle and look down upon and dismiss those who are not part of the establishment Mm. and thus raising the question what authority do you have to preach or to teach or to do this where are your credentials where is your establishment pedigree that's what they did to jesus by what authority do you have to do these things that's what they did with the apostles right so i think i think if anybody is part of the religious establishment this is particularly applicable i think it's applicable for all of us but specifically for those who are part of an establishment because there is built into the dna of any establishment whether it's political or religious the tendency to ignore relegate even challenge those who are outside of that system who are 
engaging in the same sorts of things, whether it's ministry, whether it's speaking, whether it's trying to influence people. You see it in the political realm. You see it in the spiritual realm. I think it's interesting that here Jesus quotes Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Some translations have capstone or chief cornerstone or the head of the corner. The head of the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So this reminds us of Daniel chapter 2. Jesus is the stone, the final judge. In Daniel chapter 2, we have King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And according to the dream, a stone will smash the feet of the last kingdom. And all the kingdoms will come tumbling down. I'll read it from Daniel chapter 2. Here's verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And of course, the iron, bronze, clay, and silver, and gold represented other kingdoms that came before it. So the stone is God's Messiah. It is Christ. It is the Son of God. And that stone, Jesus Christ, will be vindicated because that stone will move to the top of the corner. If you fall on the stone, there is a touch of mercy, and you will be broken. But broken men and women can be healed. Mm. But let the stone fall on you, and you will be ground to powder, and there is no healing there. And according to Daniel chapter 2, the stone, it becomes this huge mountain, a new kind of kingdom that rules in a new kind of way, defeating all the other kingdoms. So this business about the chief cornerstone, the top cornerstone was literally the head of the corner. It was the highest stone in a corner of the wall holding two sides of the building together. Therefore, it was indispensable. But some scholars believe it could also be a reference to the highest stone in the arch of a building, which is called the capstone. Either way, this is an indispensable, important stone to the building. And I believe that what he has in view there, what God has had in view since the Psalms were written, was what we read about in First. Peter chapter 2 verse 8 a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for that same letter first Peter in the next verse verse 9 he says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Hmm. It's the fulfillment of Exodus 19. Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That was fulfilled in the Ecclesia, which includes both Jew and Gentile. And Paul, when he writes Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, talking to the Gentiles but fellow citizens with God's people, God's nation, and members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 19-20. So it's beautiful how Peter and Paul in the epistles take these very statements by Jesus and show that they were fulfilled in the new nation, mm. the ecclesia. And he is still the chief cornerstone. But how we relate to him and how the people of the world, both Jew and Gentile, relate to Jesus will determine if they're going to fall on this stone and be healed, be broken and healed, or whether that stone is going to fall on them and be crushed. Yes. I love that because even in the midst of this very harsh passage, mm. there is grace. Yes. Amen. Right? There is grace. There is grace that... that the stone does not only crush and destroy, mm. but breaks and heals. Yes, amen. And it, the stone does not only does not only serve as a as a challenge, but also as a place where the two walls are brought together. Right where the where the where the new people is created yes. out of Jew and Gentile. That something new happens that would have been inconceivable in in that time. Right, that Jew and Gentile would be together, would be a new people, would would live in harmony and love. Mm. That 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 only happens through the cornerstone, through the through the the one who is amazing, and it is wonderful mm. in our sight. It's no wonderful one. in our mm. sight. It's it's because it's beyond belief, right? It's mm. no one would ever expect it, and I think that that right in the midst of right right in the midst of this story that is such a parable of judgment on on as you said religious institutions and and religious organizations that seek to control God's message and God's people that even in the midst of that there's still the core of grace Absolutely. and hope and and Absolutely. and it and it and it's it's explicit you know, and it's right before, it's right in front of our faces, really. But we, I think, it's it's easy to, it's still easy to miss, and that is, what kind of vineyard owner keeps on sending people yeah. to these tenants? That's, right? that's a great point. What kind of? It's oh, I'm going to send these servants, and they get beaten. I'm gonna, no, I'm not giving up. I'm sending more servants. Mm. They get stoned. I'm, oh, and I'm not giving up. I'm sending patience, more servants. The long suffering. I mean, it's 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 just this 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 vineyard owner doesn't give up that there's abundance of of mercy even to the point of sending his son mm. is there still judgment at the end yes but only after there has been mm -hmm. incredible mercy and those who continue i'm speaking of these religious leaders who continue to reject him really rejecting the king and all the delegates including his own flesh and blood, his own son. It's obstinate, willful, open-eyed rejection that we're dealing with here in these, in, in these individuals that Jesus is indicting. Right. This isn't, this isn't a casual, right. I, I wasn't thinking or, right. or, or, or I didn't get the message. No, this is, this is repeated rejection. Yeah. Repeated violence. And they rejection. knew these leaders he was speaking to, who eventually were behind his execution, they knew he was speaking about them. They knew it. 
Matthew clearly says it. How could they not? And he made the profession that he was God's son. And so when he said, and the king will send his son. This is right after you know the parable of the two sons. And now he talks about the vineyard. And then later he's going to talk about the wedding banquet. These three, this trilogy of powerful, in-your-face indictments against these leaders who eventually killed him. And you know, the motivation... And the Gospels are clear about this. And the book of Acts is clear about this, too, when it comes to Paul. The motivation was jealousy. Hmm. They were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous and envious because he was getting through to the people. They were jealous of Paul because he was splitting the synagogues and drawing people away from the synagogues. And they were watching their paychecks dissolve or become reduced. It was jealousy. They put him to death because of envy. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's just, it's just incredible. And it's such hubris, too. The idea, the idea that somehow the religious leaders could grasp and hold on to the kingdom and control it mm-hmm. and, and manipulate it for their, own, mm-hmm. you know, for their own ends. When the kingdom comes as gift... It always comes as gift, and it's 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 something that that we cannot control or manage. It's it's like you said earlier. It's the it's the it's the temptation of the institution. It's the temptation of those who think that they have all the answers, and so they're unable to see when something new happens, when when Christ yeah. shows up to bring in the new reality. You know, the statement that power corrupts is so true and power blinds. And there is religious power. Mm. There is a system. And I've watched it myself. I have seen people blinded by that power and become the sons and daughters of these people. Not that they're rejecting Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They preach Jesus. But when Jesus said to his disciples, if they reject you, they reject me. So there's a sobering message here. In short, to the unbeliever, Jesus is a stumbling block. But to the believer, to the new nation, the ecclesia, which has been born from a new exodus, he is a rock. The foundation upon which we have an unmovable place to put our feet. And it is so true what you said in the beginning the kingdom was given to the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. He calls them the sons of the kingdom or the subjects of the kingdom in Matthew 8. And now he's in effect saying, you are going to be thrust out of it. And it's going to be given to a different nation. And that nation, of course, is the Ecclesia, made up of Jew and Gentile. Yes. But the Jew and Gentile becoming a new race, a new humanity. A new people. I am impressed with the fact that these leaders were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of Paul because of their followings. And plus their message was overturning the established order. And the same thing has happened historically. If you look through church history, you see various ones God raised up who are outside the system, who were speaking a message of the kingdom, and it ran against the established system. You're a descendant of one of them. I mean, the Lutherans, they 
traced back to Martin Luther, but then you also had the Anabaptists. Mm. And they caught it from everybody. Yeah. And Jesus was launching a project that made Caesar anxious because it threatened his kingdom, but it also threatened the religious kingdom of his day. And it made the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders anxious as well. He was a threat. And I love how Micah uh, chapter 5 prophesied of this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. That's Micah 5, 2. And then in verse 4 and 5, he says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. There has always been, from the beginning of time, since the fall, two kingdoms in competition. Two kingdoms offering radically different definitions of peace, power, glory, greatness, and prestige. And Rome had to slaughter a lot of people to bring out its so-called peace and stability. But Jesus will bring peace and stability in a different way, through a different empire, a different power, a different glory, a different peace, a different prestige. And those two empires, the empire of the world and the empire of Jesus Christ, squared off and went nose to nose at the end of John's gospel when Pilate confronted Jesus with the question, which was essentially, support my kingdom, the kingdom of Caesar, or die. I will put you to death. And Jerusalem, unfortunately, tragically, refused the way of Christ's peace, his kingdom, as the Prince of Peace, and they went the way of the sword. But the kingdom of God redefines everything, power, greatness, glory, and subverts the kingdoms of the world by bringing in the kingdom of God. And so the original mission of Israel, of Jesus, of Paul, are really three stages in one glorious story. And the religious system as I have said so often, is part of the world system. And so anybody who's in it, at whatever level, must be very careful not to fall into the precedent that has come before, which is to dismiss at best or attack at worst those who are outside the system, but whom God has sent and whom God is using. What say you? Yes, that's always that's always the danger, and and like you said, we've seen it time and time again, and the and of course the irony, the irony in my own tradition, mm. right? Is you know you you pointed out well Luther was one of these people who said, hey, we have to challenge the system. Yeah. The system is 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 corrupt in so many ways. We need to do things differently. We need to listen to the gospel. We need to be transformed mm. to into people of the kingdom. And then, not a few years later, what are people who are following Martin Luther doing? But they are persecuting Anabaptists mm. because 
the Anabaptists are challenging mm-hmm. are challenging people to live more deeply into the reality of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's almost uh, uh, an exact quote of what they were saying. Right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they are people who are who were calling the church to a more faithful living of Jesus as King. And what happened? The very people who just a short time before were the reformers, were the ones mm. calling the institution to repentance, are now the ones that are that are the persecutors. And I think that's a that is a warning for right. us. When we look at this parable, it's easy for us to just look at it in the historical context mm. Mm. and say Yes, you see what happened. You see what happened back then with the chief priests and the Pharisees. You see that. But we're the church now <laughs> and we're part of the new we are part of the new reality. Well, we're still in the world. We're mm. still flesh. Mm. We're still prone to temptation. Yeah. And the warning here is not just something that happened long ago. The warning is for us and as you as you said especially for those of us who are within the religious system to you know to be aware to be awake mm. and to always be cognizant that the kingdom doesn't belong to us mm. it comes to us and by the grace of god comes mm. through us mm. if you read church history there is one principle that appears never to move and that is the present work of God will be persecuted by the former work of God Mm. and God is always moving he is restoring and so any denomination any movement any group of people whom God has raised up to contribute something to the restoration of his house would be very wise to keep that in mind and not to fall into the pattern of well we will persecute the new work of God because it's not part of our work Mm. which is the former work and this has happened historically and being aware of it is half the battle it's a difficult parable to read it's it's sad it's tragic especially when you see that Jesus was basically telling them what they were going to do to him. Yes. Um, And they knew, may God be merciful to us, that any of us in whatever station in life or ministry we're in will will take heed to the underlying pattern here and God will spare us from persecuting someone because they're not part of our denomination, they're not part of our system, they're not part of our establishment. They're not part of our movement. But if they're a believer, we receive them just as God has received us, as Paul says in the book of Romans. And we can learn from, from those who are not part of our movement or tradition or establishment or system, and we ought never to dismiss them. Amen. All right. Well, we will see you next time on the Insurgents Podcast. Be good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. 
this will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.